Happy holidays, folks, and welcome to a very special edition of the 20 Bell Salute. I am Mr. Fretz. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Fretzelmania. Now, this podcast is usually heard on the Wrestle Addict Radio's Patreon, but because it's the day after Christmas when this airs, and I'm feeling generous, you are all on my nice list. I wanted to give this show to you for free. So this is a sneak preview edition of what you would usually hear on Patreon every month. Now, for those of you who don't know, 20 Bell Salute is not only a wrestling pay-per-view from 20 years ago each month, it also covers the pop culture. So, movies, TV, video games, music, and so much more. I'm going to be talking about a few very notable movies today. A quite famous Christmas episode I'm not familiar with at all. And, you know, some half-decent music. And then, well, a bit of WCW because it's still a thing for a few more months. And WWF Armageddon 2000. Along with a watch-along of the six-person Hell in a Cell match I actually recorded a few days ago. So the recording schedule for this is going to be a little bit wonky, but you're not going to be able to tell. Oh, crap. I just told you. So I hope you enjoy this, and I hope this gives you a little bit of incentive to join our Patreon. It's only five bucks a month, and you'll get exclusive shows such as this. And The Secret Files with Mr. YLP, which just got released the other day. So keep your ears to the ground, because we might have some pretty cool stuff in for you. And the following week, it'll be New Year's, and I'll be right back to my regularly scheduled Fretzelmania programming with a possible twist. You're just going to have to wait and see what I have in store for you. So, strap in, folks, and join me in the Y2K-compliant DeLorean. Holy crap, it's the end of 2000, so I have to come up with a new <laughs> new joke here. <laughs> Stay tuned, my friends. Starting right away with the movies. It is a Christmas movie. It might be the only Christmas movie I could find from 2000, but I think there's a cartoon special I'm going to be covering a little bit later on here when I get to the TV. And this is Once Upon a Christmas, starring Kathy Ireland, John Dye, and Mary Donnelly Haskell. I don't know who the other two people are, but Kathy Ireland. <laughs> so this is a Hallmark Christmas movie, I believe, or at least it's been broadcasted on the Hallmark Channel since about 2012. And it is always shown on the 25 Days of Christmas programming block on ABC Family. Uh, my American friends would know that is. Up in Canada, no clue. I get ABC, but that's usually the channel I watch football on. Go Chiefs. And the synopsis for this movie is, after Santa Claus has noticed how many children have become naughty, he decides, sod it, I'm canceling Christmas. No one's getting presents this year. But his daughter, Kristen Claus thinks there is one more chance for Christmas. And Kristen takes on the challenge of trying to deliver all the presents just like her dad would in the mortal world. She made a deal with the North Pole that she would change a family on Santa's naughty list to now be nice. You know, Kathy Ireland stars Kristen Claus and Bill Morgan, I believe, is the love interest. And being that this is a you know, <clears throat> Christmas 
I mean, a Hallmark movie. It's going to be the cheesy, romance, schmaltzy crap (laughs) that, you know, is not up my alley at all. You can tell how long that I've been single for because I got no time for this crap. Uh, There's a spoiler alert here for people who haven't seen Once Upon a Christmas, which includes me. I don't know why I'm talking about this. Uh, There's something to do. There's a fire at the love interest's house and the family's son almost dies, but Kristen gives her North Pole immortality to save them, but she cannot now remember her past. There's going to be a sequel to this called Twice Upon a... Oh, there is. Oh my gosh, I called that right on the spot right as I was reading this. And uh, Kathy Ireland reprises her role as Kristen Claus, but this movie doesn't come out until 2001. Oh, the following year, almost to the day. Coming up next here in the movies is Miss Congeniality. And this movie stars... Sandra Bullock, Michael Caine, Candace Bergen, William Shatner, Ernie Hudson. Holy crap. Uh, So this is just, you know, uh, a girl who is a, uh, what do you call it? A a pageant queen, a beauty queen, and I believe she's also a uh, special agent for the FBI. So that's something to do with a domestic terrorist and... The 75th annual Miss United States Beauty Pageant and a threat and all that. So it's like secret agent like stuff. And uh, I watched this movie when it came out uh, a long, long time ago. I must have been dating my high school girl when when we saw this. I don't remember a darn thing for it. But, you know, Sandra Bullock as Gracie Hart. Uh, Michael Caine as Victor Melling. We had William Shatner Ernie Hudson, Candace Bergen, as I said, Melissa D'Souza, Steve Monroe. And yeah, this was just a silly movie. It was fine for what it was. I don't remember a single frame of it, to be honest with you. There's a couple of movies I'm going to get into here, don't worry, that I know a lot about and I hold to uh, very high regard. Well, at least, at least one of them. And next is Vertical Limit, just your classic mountain climbing survival thriller film directed by Martin Campbell. It stars Chris O'Donnell, Bill Paxton, Robert Tunney, and Scott Glenn. And this is just, you know, a team of mountain climbers and, you know, the tragedy that they run into on on this mountain. They uh, try to get a rescue team for these people, but, you know, a spoiler alert for a 20-year-old crappy disaster movie a lot of people die and it received a lot of mixed reviews it is kind of contrived and cliched when it comes to those movies and the and according to uh one one review here the action sequences are so over the top and piled one on top of another they lessen the impact on the viewer you know it's 48 out of 100 on whatever critic and I, I know I watched this at the time. As again, it's something I can't remember a single freaking frame of. And it was just a typical movie. To me, it's no different than Dante's Peak, Alive, or Twister. Although I really love Twister. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I was so obsessed with meteorology when I was a kid. 
Like, I wanted to be a weatherman, but my grades said, <laughs> dream on, kid. But I'm, I'm still fascinated with things like weather, so that's, yeah. Vertical Limit was not one to revisit. This next one might also not be worth a revisit, but it, again, might be because it was memorable. But it was memorable for being so freaking stupid. And that was Dude, Where's My Car? A stoner comedy film directed by Danny Lehner, starring Ashton Kutcher, Sean William Scott, Jennifer Garner, Christy Swanson. And this is just like your stoner movie. You had these two guys who can't remember where they parked their car after a night of drunken debauchery. And eventually, as they continue to retrace their steps, they wind up in like a strip club on wet t-shirt night. They wind up at like a I think a burger joint or something. And there's these two Norwegian men who I believe were actually played by Andy Dick and Brent Spiner, although uncredited. They're searching for this continuum transfunctioner. You know, they get tattoos that say, dude, what does mine say? Sweet. What does mine say? Dude, what does mine say? Sweet. You see where I'm going here? Uh, the jokes are really repetitious. They, they go through, where's my car, dude? Dude, where's my car? Like 32 times. There is a an, an Asian stereotype where they were going through a drive-thru. I would like this, this, and this. And then? No, that's it. No, and then. And pfft. it's so dumb, but, you know, I loved it when I was 16. I was really easily amused I'm going to go back and watch this someday just to see how ludicrous it actually is. Yeah, this is a stoner comedy film where they can't remember what they did the night before being so wasted. And it winds up having aliens. It's like some kind of fever dream. It's like, yeah, I forgot where I parked my car. And then I pissed off my girlfriends. And then I almost started an intergalactic war. And... My lord, the soundtrack to this. I mean, you have a veritable who's who and who's that in in music. Like artists like Ween, Smash Mouth, Treble Charger, Blur, Sum 41. Uh, my goodness, like this was all the music I was listening to in high school. And there's a Zoltan hand signal uh, that is used in this movie that kind of got a bit of a legacy. Uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates started using it. It's, you know, it's, it looks like a Z. You're using your two thumbs and your hands to make a Z. And, uh, you know, Zoltan's just this alien overlord. And just this movie is crazy. Uh, there's been a possible sequel hinted at for at least five or six years. Uh, it's been in development hell for years, but it's just never came up. And it's actually called Dude, Where's My Car? Seriously, Dude, Where's My Car? That's actually the name of their alleged sequel. And in interviews uh, years ago now, uh, Sean William Scott, you know, a.k.a. Stifler from American Pie fame, discussed interest in making a sequel and he wants it to be rated R and dark and really weird. I mean, this movie had a PG-13 because there were there was boobs in it, although they were like 
white wet t-shirt boobs. You can still see everything. And the fact that they would want to make another one is staggering because of the overwhelmingly negative reception it got. But I mean, this came out the same weekend as what women want, you know, a freaking romantic movie where (laughs) Mel Gibson gets electrocuted and then he gets to read women's thoughts, you know, like, Ah, look at those buns. And then, oh crap, I just looked at his crotch. And this had Mel Gibson and Helen Hunt. And I swear to God, I thought this movie had Jennifer Aniston. But this was like, definitely uh, a case of of the Mandela effect. So I was remembering it completely wrong. I sat through this shit movie, you know, oh yeah, I can read a girl's thoughts because I got electrocuted and they ended up being a romantic comedy. And uh, yeah, I just realized that that movie was out thanks to Laser Time listening to it this past weekend. And the fact that it came out the same weekend as Dude, Where's My Car? It uh, sucks. It sucks. And the big one, the big movie this week which is probably going to overtake this eventually, is one of my favorite Disney movies of all time. Maybe right behind Aladdin. It's number two behind Aladdin. And that is The Emperor's New Groove. You know, David Spade, John Goodman, Eartha Kitt, Patrick Warburton. This movie was absolutely amazing. This is... Kind of an Emperor's New Clothes meets a few different nursery rhymes. I heard there was a documentary about this movie that Disney doesn't want us to see. But just because it was absolutely, well, kind of appalling. Kind of what people were going through. You had Tom Jones was the theme song guy. Of course, Tom freaking Jones. Cusco! Yeah, that theme song at the beginning of it. I love this movie so much. You had, you know, David Spade as Emperor Cusco, the spoiled, rich, narcissistic, and selfish 18-year-old emperor to the throne of the Inca Empire who gives no Fs about anyone and wants to transform his kingdom. this This little quiet village that Pacha, you know, played by John Goodman, lives in. And he's turned into a llama by Eartha Kitt, you know, Yzma, the malevolent advisor to Cusco's throne that she is seeking. Patrick Warburton, Kronk, you know, Yzma's right-hand man. Kronk uh, would get his own spin-off movie in a few years, Kronk's New Groove, which I still haven't got to, and I don't know if I do, because Emperor's New Groove was so good, it was just so freaking quotable, you know, a llama, he's supposed to be dead. So your movie starts off with someone, this old guy voiced by Piglet. It's like, I threw off the emperor's groove, throws this guy out of a million story window that should kill this old bugger. But yeah, Pacha here is trying to uh, kind of make peace or make a treaty or make something with, with Cusco. 
Upon his 18th birthday, or close to it, uh, Cusco meets with Pacha, you know, John Goodman, a kind, noble pheasant and village leader. And then Cusco tells him he plans to demolish this hilltop family home that Pacha lives on to make a lavish summer home called Cusco-topia. <laughs> Pacha, you know, protests this, but is quickly dismissed. And then there's a dinner with Yzma, who plans to poison him. You know, and then I'll put that, it's like, I'll turn him into a bucket, and I'll put him in a box, and I'll turn that, put that thing in a box, and I'll smash it with a hammer! <laughs> it's Eartha Kit, just milking this world, just, mwah, chef's kiss, just absolutely perfect. The the great, evil henchwoman, and Kronk, you know, Patrick Warburton, he makes everything good. Like, I, I think he was, like, the face-painted guy from Seinfeld, and of course, you know, most famously, Joe Swanson from America. Uh, family Guy. Holy shnikes. That one's going to get my ass kicked. Yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of people mistake him for Stan Smith from American Dad, much to the point that <laughs> Family Guy made an entire cutaway gag of Joe singing, Good morning, USA. Got a feeling it's going to be a wonderful... Yeah, Patrick Warburton. Awesome, awesome stuff. And then he is poisoned. But instead of killing Cusco, they turn Cusco into a llama. And then he eventually is exiled from his own kingdom that Yzma starts to transform into one of her own. They survive all these things in a jungle. Eventually, they wound up tied to a log and going down a, <clears throat> a canal. And then, uh-oh, let me guess. Big waterfall head. Yep. Sharp pointy rocks at the bottom. Most likely. Bring it on. Oh, man. I, I could quote this movie forever, but all of you who are listening to this probably know this movie front to back like me. I love it to this day. Like uh, Once in a while when I'm bored or sad or something, or if I need a laugh, I'll throw this movie on. I I love it so much. It's As I said, it's my second favorite Disney animated movie. And given the long history of Disney animated movies, yeah, it's it's there. We also had, you know, Jim Cummings and Frank Welker, just two amazing notable voice voice actors in here. Love it, man. Just go watch this movie if you haven't. There were a few video games out around this time. Like the PS2 just launched in Japan, so they were getting all of their launch titles but uh, this is another game that launched out in Japan we didn't get it for a few months yet but Mario Party 3 for the Nintendo 64 I believe it was the lat did Mario Party 4 come out on the 64 as well I can't remember that but yeah you thought Monopoly was a friendship ruiner no 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 Mario Party is one of the ultimate friendship ruiner games especially if you're playing with three other mates like I used to do in high school be we would, you know, steal somebody's star or something. Yeah, this is, you know, Mario board game, mini games. It's it's fun stuff. Their early titles are a lot better than, like, the Switch version that we got a couple of years ago. Even the GameCube and Wii ones weren't as good as the OGs, man. Uh, Grandia 2, it's a sequel to a pretty famous uh, slash underrated RPG a JRPG game. I believe this one was coming out on the PlayStation and the Dreamcast. 
and ECW Anarchy Rules, the video game that nobody asked for because it was a sequel of ECW Hardcore Revolution, the same basic engine that dates as far back as WWF Warzone for the 64 and PS1, just the absolute primitive crappy engine by acclaim. It is essentially WWF Attitude and ECW Hardcore Revolution with a couple of new wrestlers. And given the given the fact that this came out the same time as SmackDown 2 and like No Mercy, seeing that game come out on the same system, while also on Dreamcast, is staggering and just a great look at how long and how far video games, namely wrestling games, have have come. For music. Raids Against the Machines, final studio album, Renegades. Uh, Weezer's Christmas EP, just a short blurb of Weezer Christmas songs. I have it. I think they just have, like, The First Noel, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, A Little Town of Bethlehem. You know, the Christmas classics, the hymns. Uh, Blink-182's single, Man Overboard, which was included on their live album. So, you had to buy Blink-182 Live to get one new song that was released. It wasn't even released on their next album, uh, which had, you know, The Rock Show and First Date. And I think, I don't, I can't, I th- Women and Children First? That might It might have been that one. I can't remember what that album was called. But yeah, he had to buy an entire Blink-182 live CD to get Man Overboard, which was an okay song. Our Lady Peace, Spiritual Machines. You know, this had songs like Life, uh, S- Not Somewhere Out There. That was the that was the one after. Is Anybody Home? Yes. Our Lady Peace is one of my favorite all-time Canadian rock bands. When I was maybe about 10, 11, 12, I found them through watching much music and the song Navid. And I saw this singer that looked a lot like Wayne Gretzky. At least I thought he did at the time. I was a dumb kid who turned into an even dumber adult. So yeah, Our Lady Peace, Spiritual Machines. Not their best album, in my mind, that's Clumsy, that came out in 96, 97. That one had Superman's Dead, one of their most famous songs. In TV, it's December, so you know what that means. It's Christmas episodes of TV shows. The Simpsons had Skinner's Sense of Snow, you know, where the... The kids would get trapped in Springfield Elementary because they're snowed in. They get they get to school on what looked like it could have been a snow day, and then it accumulated so much that they were basically the school was buried under the snow, which the amount to, the amount that would fall in a school day, that's physically impossible. But it's a bloody cartoon, and Skinner has to use his you know, his background in the military to try and dig out. But it's on though we can't dig out, it's too dangerous. Uh Homer and Ned, they they set out to find the children using Ned's car. And yeah, the kids are trapped for Christmas break in the freaking school. And they start off watching this, you know, crappy Christmas special. And like, ha ha, next time get a DVD. This is a DVD. 
And eventually, you know, Homer and Ned save the kids and they have Christmas. And yeah, this was where people seem to think the show was starting to lose its quality. I still liked it. Season 12 still has some very, very good episodes. So eventually the kids overthrow Skinner and take control of the school, uh, trapping him in a... Like the the big ass gym bag that used to hold all the dodgeballs, and then he sends out the school's pet gerbil, and the gerbil comes back and gives us one of the dirtiest jokes in Simpsons history. Uh, he's still trapped in the ball. It's like it's like Nibbles, you made it. Now quick, chew through my ball sack, huh? <laughs> King of the Hill was uh, twas the nut before Christmas. This is where. Bill Boatreeve, who is usually horribly depressed and lonely and depressed during Christmas, decides to channel that into something positive. So he becomes Rainy Street's Santa Claus. He becomes Arlen's Santa Claus and builds a little village in his front yard. And it gets him respect and admiration and love from the children and the parents some of the single parents, uh, which kind of made Bill overthink stuff <laughs> and of that, of the community. So he was bringing Christmas joy to some people. And eventually uh, he, he leaves up the village all year. He becomes kind of not an outcast because Bill Dotree was always someone who is just standoffish, despite the fact he is lifelong friends with Hank, Bill and Dale and Boomhauer. I mean, Hank Dale and Boomhauer had Bill's friends with himself. Well, hopefully he respects himself. And the Christmas village is left up all year long. And eventually it becomes a breeding ground for drunken teenagers. Where Bobby Hill, my celebrity lookalike, when I was young, I got that for so many freaking years. And to this day, I still get, I look like either Bubbles or Bobby Hill. And you know what? I'll take it. Bobby Hill was funny. Like, hey, Dad, I like beer. Oh, whoa. And, you know, then Bill has to take down the Christmas village. Like, no, I can't take it down. And it, it's a really funny thing. King of the Hill does Christmas really good, except for Ms. Wakefield. Don't look up that episode. Friggin' sucks. And next up here in TV is Friends, the one with the holiday armadillo. Now, I never watched Friends. I couldn't get into it. I think it was it was just not at the right time for me. I believe it started airing even, frankly, before I was going through puberty and before I would appreciate relationships. You know, a show I did get into much later in life which kind of parallels it in a way, is How I Met Your Mother. Loved it. And for the record, I actually don't mind the ending. But this is just a very infamous Christmas episode where Ross is trying to entertain this child uh, that of someone I think he's seeing. And that child is actually played by the kid who was in Big Daddy. Like, I wet my own ass! And he's trying to educate this child about uh, Hanukkah and Judaism and something to do with 
Santa and and all that. Uh, yeah, so he dresses up as the holiday armadillo to kind of appease the child in a way. Like, yeah, you can still have Christmas or something like that. Friends, folks, Manson K, I believe you folks would be more familiar with this. You can correct me on this gently, please. <laughs> and yeah, Holiday Armadillo. It's just infamous for, for that. Uh, a TV show special, Christmas special that aired around this time. I believe in the first time in 2000 was Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. Yes, you're turning a three-minute country song into a 20-minute special. I never watched it. I never will because I do not like the song. I hear it so much every Christmas. And for the little ones, we had Arthur's Perfect Christmas. You know, the the Arthur cartoon based on the books. Everyone watched except me because I was too old for it when it first aired. But this is a show that a lot of younger people than me would absolutely appreciate. Well, that is it for the pop culture section of this show. When we come back, I'm going to be talking about, that's right, the wrestling. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the 20 Bell Salute. Mr. Fretz here. And before I get into the wrestling of December 2000, welcome back to the 20 Bell Salute, folks. And before I get into the wrestling of December 2000, I want to encourage you to join our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Radio gets you shows such as this that you're listening to right now, the 20 Bell Salute, The Secret Files with Mr. YLP. I believe Mance is doing his Rona Rumble reviews that he's been doing lately on, on The Delight Show. Willie T's Wrestle Wars with the Monday Night Wars era of WWE, WCW, and ECW. Teespring.com is where you can find all of the Russell Addict Radio merch from every personality here. T-shirts, hoodies, face masks, and so much more. And for the month of December, you don't have much longer to go now. War 15 over. Discount code for 15% off. That's for all of you, not just Patreons. I forgot to mention Patreons get 15% off of all merch as well. So get some last-minute post-Christmas Day shopping up here in Canada. It'll be Boxing Day, you know, basically call it Canadian Black Friday. Now, on to the wrestling. And speaking of ECW, which I mentioned a few seconds ago, ECW is almost dead. We're one month away from the last pay-per-view event in Extreme Championship Wrestling's history. So I might as well talk about them here while I can. Their second last pay-per-view, which I actually thought was November to remember, was Massacre on 34th Street, December 3rd, 2000, in the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York City, drawing 2,600 fans. This was shown live on pay-per-view. And we have New Jack beating Angel, H.C. Locke beating Danny Daniels, Christian York and Joey Matthews beat Simon Diamond and Johnny Swinger. Easy Money beat Balls Mahoney. Nova, the future Simon Dean, pinned Julio De Niro. Danny Doring and Angry Amish Roadkill, one of my favorite wrestler names of all time, 
beat the FBI, Little Guido and Tony Mamaluke to win the ECW Tag Team titles. I believe they were the final Tag Team Champions. C.W. Anderson beat Tommy Dreamer continuing their feud. ECW TV Champion Rhino beat Spike Dudley. Mikey Whipwreck, who I just got a random follow on Twitter from, and Yoshihiro Tajiri beat Super Crazy and Kid Cash, in which would be an amazing match anytime you got a tag match or a singles match or a three-way dance with people like Whipwreck, Tajiri, Super Crazy, Kid Cash, Little Guido. It was always dynamite. In a main event, old school, Steve Carino, the ECW champion, defeated Just Incredible and Jerry Lynn in a three-way dance. Now, there was a couple of canceled shows in Texas on the 8th and 9th, but I want to cover this show here quickly just because it the main event fascinates me. We have December 15th, 2020 years to the day that I'm recording this. That's That's crazy. In Queens, New York, at the Elks Lodge, drawing a paltry 800 fans. We had Chili Willy beating Mike Bell. Michael Shane, yes, Matt Bentley. Michael Shane of TNA fame, the cousin of Shawn Michaels, pinned Belvis Wesley. I imagine this guy would have been a featured player in the Flying Elvises of early TNA fame. Julio De Niro in Easy Money beat Balls Mahoney and Nova. Jerry Lynn beat Christian York. Just Incredible beat Kid Cash. The tag champs, Doring and Roadkill, beat DeBaldi's. Rhino beat Spike Dudley, retaining the TV title again. The FBI beat Whipwreck and Tajiri. ECW champion Carino beat Sandman in a last man standing match. And in the main event, Tommy Dreamer tagged with the Dudley Boys, defeating Simon Diamond, Johnny Swinger, and C.W. Anderson. Now, earlier in the year, I believe on the 20 Bell Salute on the Patreon archives, I talked about when Tommy Dreamer beat, uh, I think he beat Taz for the ECW title after Taz, who was contracted by WWE, beat ECW champion Mike Awesome, who was contracted by WCW, for the ECW title that was being held by Awesome at the ECW arena or an ECW event. So that wasn't the only time we saw a little bit of brand trading during the year 2000. I found that rather fascinating. So yeah, next month I'll talk about Guilty as Charged 2001, the final ECW pay-per-view until the, the revival in 2006 and the awesome one night stand pay-per-view in 2005 now we're going on to wcw for starcade you know wcw's wrestlemania their flagship show you know this is where we saw you know sting and hogan this is where we saw like flair and steamboat and this barely passed as a episode of WCW Thunder. However, the opening match, which was featured in the ladder match DVD from the, the mid-aughts, was pretty darn good. We had three count, Shane Helms and Shannon Moore, defeating the Young Dragons, Kaz Hayashi and Jimmy Yang. 
and Evan Courageous and Jamie Noble, both of them being former members of Three Count and the Young Dragons, respectively. This was a ladder match to determine the number one contender for the Cruiserweight title. Why you had a tag team do it, I don't know. Eventually, Shane Helms would contend for the Cruiserweight title, becoming the final WCW Cruiserweight champion, at least in the in that era, you know, before the invasion. <clears throat> Yikes. So, yeah, yeah, Shane Helms was coming out onto his own after this, you know, breaking away from three count. Yeah, 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 this is a good match, but, you know, the rest of this card, uh, yikes. Uh, Lance Storm defeated Ernest Miller. Terry Funk defeated Crowbar to win the Hardcore Championship. Yeah, WCW had the Hardcore title, and right after this, Mang would beat Terry Funk for the title, and then go on to be a surprise entrant in the Royal Rumble while still technically being the hardcore champion. And WCW just said, you know, sod it, we'll get rid of this division. Big Vito and Reno versus Chronic ended in a no contest in which was probably an absolute disaster of a match. Mike Awesome beat Bam Bam Bigelow in an ambulance match. Pull up your pants, we need an ambulance. General Hugh G. Rexton <clears throat> defeated Shane Douglas by DQ to retain the U.S. title. The Harris Brothers, a.k.a. the Disciples of Apocalypse, a.k.a. the Blue Brothers. And Jeff Jarrett defeated the Filthy Animals represented by Kidman, Conan, and Ray. The Insiders, DDP and Kevin Nash, defeated the Perfect Event, Chuck Palumbo and Sean Stasiak to win the tag team titles. Goldberg beat Lex Luger in a no-holds-barred match, and in the main event, the main event of Starcade 2000, Scott Steiner beat Sid Vicious by submission to retain the heavyweight title. Now, Sid is no strangers to, to Starcade main events. I th Hang on. I think Sid has been in the main event of Starcades. He's been in the main event of various WCW pay-per-views as the Monster Heel, but, man, this event here, that's a, that's a big bag of yikes. That's, that's no thank you. And just days before WWE Armageddon, we had Rebellion, one of the infamous, or not so infamous, uh, UK-only pay-per-views that were recorded in the UK. It was broadcasted on, on you know, pay-per-view itself, but this was... Uh, when England, they wouldn't get too, too much wrestling. They wouldn't get WWE too often, maybe not as often as they would uh, COVID be damned in a modern era. But we have here just a, a decent looking event. I, I watched it a long, long time ago. It was okay. So we had the Dudley Boys defeating Edge and Christian and TNA in an elimination tables match. Kind of a Similar vein of their No Mercy Tag Team Tables Invitational. Ivory retained the women's title over Lita. Kind of copy-paste from Survivor Series. Steve Blackman retained the hardcore title against Perry Saturn. Crash Holly defeated William Regal to win the European title. Every time Regal went back to Europe, went back to England with that title, he'd lose it. You know, he lost it to Spike Dudley and, and so on. But he would get the title back just before Armageddon to uh, 
not retain, retain it against Hardcore Holly. <laughs> Billy Gunn and China beat Dim Malenko and Eddie Guerrero. Kane defeated Chris Jericho in a feud over Coffee. The right to censor the tag team champions, Bull Buchanan and the Good Father, defeated the Hardy Boys to retain. Taker beat Chris Benoit. Kurt Angle defeated Rikishi, The Rock, and Steve Austin in a fatal four-way match. And now, on to Armageddon. I don't want to close my eye. Not that one, Steven Tyler. No, not that one. Armageddon 2000. December 10th, 2000 in Birmingham, Alabama from the Birmingham Jefferson Civic Center in front of an attendance of 14,000 920 people. On Sunday Night Heat, previous to the event, Scotty Too Hottie pinned D. Low Brown. Back when D. Low Brown was in Lowdown, when Lowdown was managed by Tiger Ali Singh, and they came out in turbans and garbs, and oh yeah, that that's gonna age well. Yeah, this was another one of those classic My Buddy Dave's Basement pay-per-views, because we just had to see Hell in a Cell. We've only watched it on VHS. You know, I had Bad Blood and King of the Ring 98 on tape. So we watched that Mankind Flying Off the Cell bit a million times. We're like, there's going to be six people in here? All right. Chip in a fiver, order a pizza, we're in. So opening the festivities here tonight is the Radicals. Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, Perry Saturn going up against Team Extreme, Matt and Jeff Hardy and Lita in a six-person intergender elimination match. This feud was kind of centered around Dean Malenko's infatuation with Lita. This whole thing was centered around an infatuation that Dean Malenko had with with Lita. Problem is, Dean Malenko is a married man. He goes on a date with Lita leading up to this, and she's like, yeah, what does your wife think about this? And then eventually, Lita kind of eggs him on, cons him a little bit. It's like, I want you, Dean. It's like, I want you right now. Check, please! So they go back to the hotel room. They get the, sh you know, they get the whole, you know, negligee, and yeah, they're about to do it, and it's like, oh yeah, here we go. Turn the lights off. Actually, I like to do it with the lights on. TMI, Lita. TMI. Then lights come back on. Hardy Boys are there. Champagne, Dean. And, you know, champagne bottles smash in the face of Dean Malenko. Humiliating him and emasculating him because he got outsmarted by a girl. Yeah, uh, this does not age <laughs> well at all. But we have a decent, you know, six-person tag team match here. The Swanton Bomb takes out Guerrero. And then a Death Valley driver takes out Jeff. So Fate takes out Saturn. Distraction spot from Terry leads to Matt Hardy being eliminated. And we're down to Lita and Dean Malenko. And they put on a decent, quick back and forth match. There's a there's a moonsault. Malenko kicks out at two. Uh and then there's a DDT. Malenko superplexes Lita and then tries to pin her, but like, you know, stops it, gets a little cocky, pulls her up from the pin after a backbreaker, 
and then forces Lieta to tap out to the Texas Cloverleaf. Afterwards, he had a little bit of a crying promo about Lita trying her hardest and stuff like that. King makes a comment about taking about Lita about wanting Lita to take off her pants, dude. Yeah, King on commentary was kind of a horn dog and kind of a pig at this point in time. Yeah, this was a pretty good back and forth, you know, opening match. I didn't mind it. I like the Hardy Boys and Lita. I, I met Lita a couple of years ago, and she's an absolute sweetheart. You know, Castrol GTX brings you Armageddon. Kurt Angle's backstage doing some squats. Uh, Lillian's asking about, you know, are you worried about the six-person Hell in the Cell match? Something, something. I, I didn't catch the gist of this, but... <coughs> Kurt asks Lillian if she's Bulgarian, or foreshadowing a feud with Rusev that never materialized 20 years later. And yeah, then we hear a really crappy remake of Sweet Home Alabama during the match graphics. I know when I watched this live on pay-per-view that it had like a heavy metal cover to it, but because the network and licensing it ended up like a 16-bit Super Nintendo rendition of it, and it just sounded like crap. And we see, you know, these Hell in a Cell legacy moments leading up to the eventual match. And this, of course, was Cactus Jack from No Way Out 2000 in the retirement match with Mick Foley and Triple H. Great match. You know, Cactus takes that, that bump off the broken cage correctly this time. Then we have William Regal going up against Hardcore Holly for the European title. Regal's cutting a, a promo on, on the South here saying, like, you know, this is a handkerchief. Learn how to use it. Your overalls while acceptable attire, must be washed at least once a week. I'm I'm sorry, Jermaine. And it's like, it's okay to love your farm animals, but not love, in parentheses, your farm animals. Not Tom Green uh, would not take that advice with his skits. Um, then you hear Bob Hawley's theme, his kick-ass singles theme. However, without the, how do you like me now? We, get, we see, you know, great back and forth wrestling between the two. When Holly had control later in the bout, Raven interfered and hit the even flow DDT on Holly, allowing Regal to take the easy pinfall and the win. China versus Val Venus, accompanied by Ivory, and every time Ivory is at ringside here or in a match, JR always makes the Lilith Crane reference. And yes, we get it. She looks like Lilith Crane dressed head to toe in the in like the ankle length dress and the proper shirt and the modest woman, if you will. Yes, we get it. It's Lilith Crane. Yeah. We have uh China taking uh taking advantage in the beginning of this match. The momentum would swing back and forth. Ivory was getting a little bit more aggressive, trying to foreshadow a feud with China. And then, distraction spot leads to Valvinus hitting the fisherman suplex for the pinfall. China's about to beat up Ivory, but Venus once again saves her. Hang on. Kane and Chris Jericho continue their feud in a last man standing match, which was over coffee. You think this is about coffee? Yeah, back, it was, uh, Whole bunch of plunder, baby. 
back and forth hardcore match that made its way backstage. We saw this truck filled with sawdust, and I wonder if this was foreshadowing to something or if this was parked there for a purpose or if Kane was going to chokeslam Chris Jericho in to the bed of this truck. They go in and outside of the match. There's there's a top rope moonsault, the, you know, the lion salt. There's the choke slam. Jericho recovers from that. They end up back outside of the ring again into a tech area where there, where there is this conveniently placed tower of stacked barrels. And then Chris Jericho knocks them on top of Kane for the 10 count. And, you know, 1, 2, 3, 4, <clears throat> all the way to 10. 10. Chris Jericho wins this and moves on from this feud. As fun and entertaining it was, you know, Chris Jericho has to move on to something bigger. And next month, he does. We have Vince backs... Oh, before, before the Jericho match, actually, there was Vince and Seth backstage afraid for Triple H because of what Steve Austin did to him at Survivor Series. And Vince is, you know, I want to take down that cell, that, that damn Mick Foley. And Taker has memories with Mick Foley cutting a promo in the cell in the empty arena before the event. It's like, I tossed him over the cell, man. And, you know, just talks about all that. And Vince is vowing to dismantle the cell and prevent Foley from putting on this match. I think Foley said something like, if anyone gets severely injured in this match, you know, kind of like he did, that he'll resign from being the commissioner. And we're at WWF New York. Shawn Michaels is is there. And oh, man. Yeah, Shawn wasn't in a good place at this point in time. You know, he was kind of slurring his words a little bit. You can tell he was off. And it wouldn't be much longer until he was actually fired. Was he fired? Yeah, but... Yeah, he, he'd be sent away. We wouldn't see him for a while. Until, like, 2002. And, you know, J you can just hear J in, in JR's voice, like, you know, take care of yourself, Sean. We, we wish you were here. And you could just feel that in your heart, especially with the benefit of foresight. Like, oh, man, or hindsight. Whatever that <laughs> term is. We see a promo for the Birmingham Bolts of the XFL. Yay! The XFL. Tag Team Champions Bobby Cannon and the good father of the right to censor. Going up against Edge and Christian, the Dudley Boys, and the team of Road Dog and K-Quick in a fatal four-way tag team match for the titles. And the right to censor starting off attacking the Dudleys. This, of course, would be retaliation for the fake-out that the Dudley Boys gave the right to censor for apparently joining them, and then not. Devon responds with the back elbow. After a bunch of double-teaming here, Steven Richards attempts to interfere. DDT's Devon, and, you know, the Dudley boys seemingly have the match win. However, Edge speared Bubba Ray. Christian nailed the Impaler on Bubba for the win for the tag team titles. And this was a really, really good uh, tag team match. There was a great, great air on a black body drop that Bubba Ray does. The good train is derailed, or the hoe train is derailed, or, or something here. <laughs> yeah, great, great back and forth here in the tag team division at this point in time. Oh, oh my gosh. The Intercontinental Champion, the one Billy Gunn, without the badass, defends against Chris 
Benoit. And we have working the body parts psychology kind of match where Billy Gunn kind of got his Intercontinental title push a year after winning King of the Ring, after Billy Gunning the King of the Ring. You know, Benoit gets the momentum. It goes back and forth. Billy Gunn gets some gets some himself. He hits the jackhammer and the famaster. However, the famaster, because right to censor said he can't do ass anymore, is no longer his finishing move, but the Cobra Crutch Clutch Slam, called the one and only, is. Cripple the crossface. Gunn gets his foot in the rope. Benoit has to release the hold. And this is where Gunn starts selling his injury and showing signs of it. Psychology. His knee buckled while trying to hit the tilt-a-whirl. And then Benoit once again locks the cripple crossface on. Billy Gunn taps out. And Benoit is once again the Intercontinental Champion. We are off to the races because we get that awesome ladder match at the Royal Rumble. And in the penultimate match of the night, a triple threat for Ivory's Women's Championship against Trish Stratus and Molly Holly, both of whom were starting to cut their teeth in in the women's division and in wrestling itself. You know, Stratus was continuing her feud with Molly, with you know TNA and the APA and Crash Holly and the Hollies and everybody. Molly was double superplexed by Stratus and Ivory. Molly hits a crossbody for a near fall. Stratus was wasting some time. Uh, TNA interfere in this match as Ivory was picking up the distraction win. And afterwards, Crash came out to make the save, challenged TNA. However, he did not come alone. The returning APA, the Acolyte Protection Agency, made the save and they had a beat-up spot, and sent T&A packing. Now, this is it for this portion, folks, because actually last week, at the time that I'm recording this, not the time that you're hearing this, I actually did a watch-along of the Hell in the Cell match, the six-person cluster F of a match. So I'm going to take this last non-commercial commercial break and get back to you for a watch-along. So... Fire up your WWE Network for Armageddon 2000. Get to the main event. And huh, we're going to have a good time here, folks. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the 20 Bell Salute, folks. Mr. Fretz here. And it is now time to do a watch-along for the main event six-person Hell in the Cell match for the WWE title here at Armageddon 2000. We have champion Kurt Angle defending against Triple H, Steve Austin, Rikishi, The Rock, and The Undertaker. And if you go to the WWE Network, um, I'm actually using a completely legal kind of stream uh, for this event because it is on my Xbox. So I am at 2 hours and 48 seconds. Uh, the vignette with all the music just finished. And the cell is about to be lowered. And I'm going to hit play. So if you want to join me on your uh, network feed, I will give you a couple of seconds here to do so. Okay. Did you do it? Here we are. Two hours, 48 seconds starting now. And just look at that cell. 
That that is just so ominous and outrageous. I know this gimmick's been done to death over the years, but I still pop for a steel cage or a hell in the cell or what we just had this past week at time of recording this, a war games kind of match. Heck, I would love the WWE to bring back the old school blue bar steel cage, you know, like the Brett Nolan Hart wrestled in and like, uh, was it Bret Hart and Diesel had one in 96. Oh, here comes Triple H coming out to the ring to my time for quite possibly the last time. I thought this was the debut of his um, Motorhead theme, but it would be coming up the next month at Rumble. But there's another debut tonight. Oh, and just notable here that it's the instrumental version of my time. You don't have the... I think it's Chris Warren, the guy that sang the Degeneration X theme song, that also did Triple H's My Time. Oh, man. Just that raspy voice. Uh, as long as he's not covering the Star Spangled Banner, I'm game. Yeah. And remember that debacle from WrestleMania 14? You know, like, you're trying too hard to be Zach De La Rocha from Rage Against the Machine. Don't. Ah, uh, here comes Triple H. I, I love this instrumental version, to be honest with you. I mean, when it comes to Triple H themes, my time is my favorite. Uh, I like me some Motorhead. Hey, there's that big security guard guy that almost got in a feud with Steve Blackman. Uh, I can't think of that dude's name, but he just passed away, like, maybe a couple of years ago. Uh, they, he kind of looked like Julian from Trailer Park Boys. Uh, he's just missing, like, a whiskey in his hand, and, and he's got him down pat. Yeah, uh, do not be alarmed. This isn't beer. Uh, actually, immediately after I'm done recording this, I'm going to be going to work. So this is a little bit of watermelon sparkling water. Be sure to hydrate yourself, kids. Ah, yeah, the classic spit pose. It's like, hey, Triple H, what's your favorite wrestling promotion? No. Ah, speaking of no, here comes Rikishi. Yeah, coming out to his bad man. I'm a bad man. Something, something, something. Yeah, I don't like much rap. So this theme did nothing for me. And I find it shocking that uh, Rikishi was the man who ran over Steve Austin was basically decided around WrestleMania 2000. I find that a little hard to believe. I mean, I've been following along the uh, Cultaholic Classics Smackdown and Raw podcast, respectively. And at time of recording, I'm going to be listening to the Smackdown podcast because they come out on Tuesdays with uh, Matthew Gregg from Botchamania and Tom Campbell uh, from Cultaholic. Yeah, they're at the Smackdown where Brooklyn Brawler pinned Triple H just before Fully Loaded. Ah, here's Kurt. Here, why the champ's coming out like third last? That's weird. He looks intimidating. You suck. Oh wait, this is pre you suck chance. So weird to hear you know metal, one of the most iconic themes in WWE history, without you suck chance. You know, uh, last year Nate and I reviewed uh, what was it? Bad Blood. Uh, the first Hell in the Cell match, and actually we did a watch along for that too. Now that I now that I mention it, um, 
Yeah. The Patriot, Del Welks, come out to metal. That year at In Your House DX in December 97, Sergeant Slaughter, whom I met last year at Comic-Con and gave me the Cobra Clutch, <laughs> uh, came out to that theme. And then Kurt made it iconic. And then Edge made it even more iconic with You Suck Chance. Oh, Dong. Oh, it's Taker. Oh, is this going to be You Done It Now? Man walking. Oh, Limp Biscuit. Oh, Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavored Water. Dead Man Inc. Oh, he's coming out to roll. This is the first time he came out to Roland. Because, you know, he still had that, that Judgment Day, he's here, uh, intro from his uh, Kid Rock American Badass theme. But he just had that at Survivor Series. But I wouldn't have known that because I watched the network version and anything that has Kid Rock is dubbed over with, you've done it now. And even some of the Limp Bizkit stuff is. And that's tragic because, unpopular opinion, I like Limp Bizkit. I mean, yeah, this is going back to when I was 16 when this album came out. But yeah, I had $3 bill, y'all. Results may vary. Chocolate Starfish, uh, Rearranged. I had all of them. Oh, here's Rock. Of course he's going to come out last to pop the crowd. Yeah, I remember, uh, it was just before, like a year or two before this, I was supposed to do this like game show in French class, and I used uh, the Rock's Nation of Domination theme, and I tried to do a rock promo en français, but it uh, was say terrible, tabernacle. Uh, <laughs> my goodness. Just how over... Oh, no, there's still one more guy to come out. I think, you know, they had the Hogan Must Pose pal era of the 80s. And in the late 90s, early aughts, it was the Stone Cold Must Drink pal. Oh, just wait. Oh, there's the pop. Oh, he's coming up to Disturbed. Get in. <laughs> David Drainman. Let's go. And I love how all these uh, guy graphics here had like their personal websites. Oh, Steve. Oh, he went and dead Kurt Angle was hanging around hiding at the side of the cell. <clears throat> In the words of Stone Cold. Let him take that belt off. I mean... I walked around Comic-Con with my big gold, and yeah, once you've been wearing that for a while, A, you'll sweat because it weighs 10 pounds, and B, you'll poke your chest. You know, it might give you a bay a bit of a poke. Yeah, Steve Austin and Triple H, uh, they're in the midst of a hot feud because of the runover angle, and ironically, Rock and Rikishi are in a feud for exactly the same reason. And Kurt Angle and Taker, you know, they had a a match with a with a death to finish baby at uh, Survivor Series uh, featuring Kurt's brother Eric. Pass off as a twin, okay. And I know last month, for those of you who listened to the Twenty Ball Salute on Patreon, uh, hi and thank you. Uh, I talked about Eric Angle and the other storyline he was in, and that was against Brock Lesnar 
when we didn't think, or Kurt didn't think that he'd be able to make it to WrestleMania 19 because his neck was that effed. But, uh, man, give him credit for going through for that and for not dying after taking a not Brock Lesnar, not shooting star press. Yikes. So, these three feuds were just so heavily featured on WWE TV and so intertwined with each other, coincidentally, that Commissioner Mick Foley is like, sod it, we're just going to put all these guys in one match in Hell in a Cell and we're going to have one winner. You know, personally, I would have loved to see Kane in here instead of Rikishi, but Kane had his feud with Chris Jericho. You know, you think this is about coffee? <clears throat> or no, if this is Tom Campbell and Matthew and his classic SmackDown, you think this is about coffee? <clears throat> Yeah, check out Colonel XB on um, Twitter and YouTube because he be, he's been taking oh a big clothesline, uh, Simpsons episodes and dubbing them with cultaholic SmackDown SmackDown reviews. Uh, you know this whole that's gotta be Kane turned into a British sitcom. If you don't get it, just go back and listen to it. I I recommend it. It's it's my go-to podcast for like long walks or for. You know, if I'm working really late at the store, Steve Austin and Triple H in the ring. Let's go. Austin, Austin. Oh, nope. Don't duck when you're wrestling Triple H. He's going to knee you in the face every time. Oh, Luthes Press. Ah, uh, he just passed away not long before or after this, I think. Uh, the greatest wrestler of all time, in my mind, is Luthes. Uh... One of the first, one of the pioneers of not only the NWA but wrestling itself, like him and you know Hackenschmidt, Gorgeous George, uh, Gotch. Those are names that don't get a lot of love because well they were from like a hundred freaking years ago, like especially Hackenschmidt, classic. Austin and Triple H in the ring. Everyone else is uh, on the outside with a little bit of plunder, baby. Oh, here comes here comes Rock Stone Cold. Stone Cold, turn around. It's your WrestleMania X7 opponent. Turn around, quick. Man, just looking at Kurt Angle, and I, and even all of the wrestlers in this match, look at where they were at Armageddon 1999, you know, minus Steve Austin, who just had neck surgery. Kurt Angle was a month into his uh, WWE career. You know, he wrestled and beat Steve Blackman. Triple H had just coerced Stephanie into joining him after a uh, roofy marriage, which uh, doesn't age that well. Rock, Simone, drop. Yeah, he's head of the table. Roman. And, uh, it wouldn't be a main event Attitude Era match without Earl Hebner officiating. My goodness. Uh, yes... Taker and Rikishi are out brawling outside of the ring here. A bit of foreshadowing. Yeah, Kurt Angle. Uh, as I said, he was new in the company uh, a year previous to this. He would go on to achieve great things in his first less than a year. From November 99 to October 2000, he was Eurocontinental Champion, King of the Ring, WWE Champion... 
uh, went on an undefeated streak for a good while. And my goodness, and Triple H was, I think, around 99, uh, yeah, December 99, he was maybe a two-time WWE champion already, I think. Taker was was away. Rikishi had just debuted his new character, you know, the dancing, thong-wearing, Samoan fat guy, and The Rock was on top of the company in the absence of Austin. Here we go, everyone's brawling. Rock just gets tossed into the cage. Taker throwing those soup bones because he's the, I'm the big dog that runs this yard. Yeah, big dog. I see where you got that, Roman. I see. Yeah, Rikishi and uh, Kurt Angle are no strangers to each other, uh, having been in the finals of the King of the Ring tournament. And uh, yeah, I thought Samoans were, you know, head-type Pokemon because Rikishi just got his head bopped in the steel steps, but he sold it. Normally the Samoan blokes, well, mainly people like Rikishi or Samu or the Barbarian or Mang, well, Mang's from Fiji, uh, they don't sell head injuries because, you know, that's a typewriter-sized head with the headbutt there. That's a classic call. Ah, man, that cheese grater... Cheese grater spot on the mesh. You know, Triple H just eating that steel cage for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. He'll be pooping shrapnel in no time. Oh, man. Torturing the game for taking 10 months off of his career. Uh, for causing in kayfabe that, that neck surgery Steve had. I'm not sure if Steve had a similar surgery that I did. You know, I've stated in numerous, numerous podcasts that, you know, I have metal fused to my spine, thanks to scoliosis. Um, but I know some wrestlers have had similar surgeries to the things and, and came back. Like, Champa comes to mind, but with his neck. Oh, and Triple H is bleeding. Yeah, he, uh, he did, the, he did the Ric Flair blade job, except that he didn't gack himself so hard that he damaged a carotid artery. <laughs> oh, oh, geez, that's a camera angle right up Rikishi's hole. That's, uh, that's nice. Yeah, uh, I don't get how a, a large man wearing a thong got so over. And I'm not talking about Big Dick Johnson, you know, that oil butt fat guy that DX used to bring out every once in a while. Oh, and, and Steve is just doing the world tour here with Great and Triple H's head all over the the steel cage, all the way around the ring, and boom, there we go. I guess he was building up his special meter in SmackDown vs. Raw so he could escape the cage and do like a powerbomb through it or something, like in the modern WWE games. Except not 2K20, because that was an absolute abomination. Oh, leg drop on the back of Austin's head by Rikishi. Man. I'm going to turn this up a little bit more. Yeah, uh, Stone Cold just just flopped. He just went limp. Aw, Rikishi's helping his buddy out. His buddy Triple H up. Yeah, okay, uh, let's do this. Uh. Aw, hug it out. How sweet. Nope. Pedigree. Ha <laughs> ha. 
Don't uh, trust uh, anybody. Oh man, not gonna end quick like this. One, two, nope, Rock stops it. He's saving his cousin. He did it for Rikishi. No, he did it for the WWE title. Rock and Triple H. No strangers to each other here. Man, that's going back to... Oh, laying the SmackDown DDT. Classic move. That's going back to DX versus The Nation in 1998. That's how long... No, these guys have been going at it since... The Blue Blood Hunter Hearst Helmsley versus Rocky Maivia in 97. Was it? Yeah. Maivia beat Triple H for his first title for the Intercontinental in 97. Yeah. Stutter! By God, stutter! Everyone's hitting finishers here. L1's there for everyone. Nope. Here comes Taker. You've done it now. Oh, choke slam. Here we go. Oh, nice height on that choke slam, dead man. Everyone's hitting L1. They got their specials built up. <laughs> Two. Nah. Triple H prevents that. Yeah. This is what I love about this Helm of Cell match. It's so chaotic. Everyone's trying to pin everyone. It's one fall to a finish. Which, if I could be honest, I would have liked this to be uh, elimination. But we would see a similar kind of match do that in some kind of... I don't know. It's, it's some kind of chamber. Have something to do with eliminations. I'll get back to you on what that is. Oh, gee, Triple H is just getting wrecked. He's taking all the punishment from everybody. Like a champ. Oh, Snake Eyes. Oh. Ah, oh, Snake Eyes right, right into the cell. Man. Triple H must have, been, must have went to like the Ric Flair school of taking bumps. Steve Austin knocks down Rikishi here. Yeah. You know, hey, uh, you, 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 run, you run the man over, and you almost get vehicular homicided by Austin at no mercy. Oh, classic taker lands on his feet spot from to the outside of the ring. And for a big man, taker's always been so agile and impressive. Fez press to Rikishi. Rikishi's got a little... Blood in his hair there, so he's got a he's got a cut started. Oh oh oh! Uh, here comes Vince McMahon, Gerald Briscoe, and God rest his soul, just passed away. Pat Patterson, uh, coming out to the ring with a flatbed with a bunch of sawdust in it. Yeah, this was being alluded to throughout throughout the night because Vince wanted to stop this match because Commissioner Foley is sadistic or he's bloodthirsty or something. But we saw. Uh, oh, uh, come on, tear it down! He says. Yeah, he's he's attaching the cell door to a trailer hitch. But why is there sawdust? There it is. Kane wasn't there to rip off the door this time because he had just been uh, in a last man standing match with Chris Jericho over coffee. At the whole damn thing. Yeah, done. Oh, that guy's name was Dunn, the security guard. Not Kevin Dunn. Gosh! Ugh. There we go. There's a AAA construction here. Ah, from Mexico wrestling. No, no. Yep, kennel bedding. Oh, it's for dog kennels. <laughs> the, thing, the finer details you miss the first 72 times you watch this show. But yeah, we have here... Yeah, the, the McMahon, McMahon and the Stooges... 
they're taking their cell down because it's too violent or something like that. And they're like, yeah, we're, we're, okay. Well, at least you're saving the ring for a little bit of work here. Here comes Pat. Uh, wait, what? Oh, here comes Mick Foley. Commissioner Mick. Dressed up in his casual Friday uh, <laughs> flannel shirt and slacks. Hey, Vince is the boss. He can do this. Mick, sit down. Oh, come on. Mick, just socko somebody, please. Get Pat Patterson. Get Pat Patterson. Oh, poor Pat and Jerry. <laughs> oh, man. Those two guys can take bumps like a champ. McMahon's walking with a cane. He's selling some kind of injury, too. This isn't when he tore both his quads. Oh, he's going to hit him with a cane. Nope, nope. Uh, here comes the security. It's kicking the owner of the company out of his own event. No, 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 no. Yeah, you do own this damn place, Vince. You've got a point. You can't kick him out. Oh, that's going to be Trump when he gets out of the White House in January. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. Congrats, Joe Biden. I, I see fans going up the, the stairway to get a piss or a drink. Guys, this is the main event. This is the time. Hey, Robin Triple H's head. Aw, remember crowds? Remember people? Oh man, Triple H just using that truck to stand up. I wonder if the truck's gonna... Oh, Steve. Oh, yeah. Steve jumps from behind, knocking up the cameraman. Uh, there we go. Steve Austin, Triple H. Uh, we're about five months away from the two-man power trip, which is... Oh, there's all the house, uh, the, the the cars parked there. Yeah, it's like the Iron Circle match, the parking lot stuff you can do in SmackDown versus was it SmackDown. Here comes the pain. Oh, oh, the camera on a crane right in Triple H's crotch. Suck it! Holy shikes! Oh, he missed that Brett's rope elbow into the cars. It's a junkyard out there, man. Look at all these cars. I, I want to uh, give a two for a beer to the crew that stacked all those cars. I know it's probably a crane or something, but that's impressive stuff. I mean, I'm flabbergasted at how they fit like Optimus Prime inside of Niagara Falls Comic Con, but I have suspicions. Like, I got, I saw the DeLorean, I've seen the General Lee, I've seen Optimus Prime truck. Oh, Austin went right through the the friggin' windshield. And here comes, oh, Taker, de he's decking the rock because, hey, they know they're wrestling at Armageddon 2001, or should I say Vengeance 2001. They had a match. Yeah, Steve, oh, yeah, here's the camera's point of view from going right in Triple H's crotch. Boom! Hope you're on a cup, bud. Because, uh, yeah. <laughs> I know you got kids now. He's got kids. Yeah, Steve Austin's gacked. He gave himself a cut. Here we go. He's been busted open. Go through that windshield. I bet he used that windshield blade. Wouldn't be surprised. Kurt Angle has just got his face inside the window of a car. Maybe he's going for a... Oh, no. Triple H's got the trash bin. 
This is all pandemonium, it's all plunder, baby. And we're looking for a death to finish here in this in this Armageddon match, if you will. Yeah, Rock and Triple H, yeah, renewing that rivalry that at this point's been going on for three and a half years, on and off. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Rocky Maivito winning the IC title was literally the first time you saw Die Rocky Die signs in the crowd. So, in a way, Triple H is the catalyst for Die Rocky Die and the Rock. I'm kidding. Oh, oh, they're on the hood of the car. Here we go. Rock bottom? Nope. Nope. Denied. Triple H is fighting it. Oh, low blow. Ah, oh, right in the rocks. Triple H is, is a dick to the Rocks Maivias. Shout out to uh, Christian Markle, WWE Sins, for that one. <laughs> uh, he's, he's a classic one. Watch watch his stuff. Christian Markle, uh, WWE Sins, awesome stuff. Oh, pedigree right on the roof of that car and just dented the roof right in. Whew. Yeah, that was rough looking. At least he didn't bump on his knee like Kane. Yeah, look at every time Kane takes the pedigree. He takes it on his knee. But yeah, when I used to, like, wrestle with my friends, like, in the basements, and Buddy made me took the pedigree, uh, I took it with my hand. I tried to take it with my hand, because I'm just like, you are effing not dropping me on my face right now, bud. Because I would always pull off the stunner. Like, I used to, I used to dole out Stone Cold stunners to unsuspecting friends in the hallways in high school. <laughs> Didn't get in shit for it. I mean, I used to do it to my friggin' gym teacher. <laughs> yeah, but he, he would get he would get me right back with, like, a spear. Oh, body slam on the hood of the car. Yeah, we're, we're, we're killing time here. We're getting to uh, the eventual finish. That truck is still sitting there. Uh, when they kicked Vince out, the, the driver of the truck is just like, I... I'm going to head out now. See ya. Most aggressive environment. Oh, yep. Everyone's getting hoyed into cars. You get hoyed to a car. And then you get hoyed to a car. Oh, and Stone Cold's going to slingshot Triple H right into the windshield of a car here. Or go for the Boston Crab. Nope. Slingshot. Oh, Triple H just flumps down. Man, you can definitely see the inspiration of Ric Flair in Triple H's bumping because, you know, that was his guy when when, when Hunter was growing up was, was Nate. It, you, you can see the inspirations, and especially after Flair came to the WWE and started working with Triple H and Evolution. Uh, Steve Austin's got a big, big old trash bin here. Oh, no, he, he hits the car. He ducks. Yeah, uh, those are those big, heavy metal trash cans that you see at the park. It's just not your run-of-the-mill, duke-the-dumpster, hollowed-out silver trash cans that weigh, like, five pounds. Oh, yeah, he's bopping them into the barrel. They're like oil barrels. That's what they're like. I think that's what they're supposed to be. Yeah, there's a big-ass stick, like, flammable sticker on it. It's an oil barrel. <laughs> Don't light a match, you know. Don't roll a fatty for this pimp daddy. Oh, uh, he's got... Ah. Uh, hey. Ah, uh, he's hitting him with the microphone. That's Lillian's mic, bro. You're getting that all sweaty and bloody. Oh, there's the... No, it's the Fink. Never mind. Uh, another guy we lost this year. This year? Yeah. Ah, uh, Howard Finkel. 
the the best ring announcer of all time. Fight me, seriously. The Fink. There's none other. He was announcing at both of the house shows that I went to in '97 and '03. Yeah, '03 is the last time I saw wrestling live. I I know. I I, I know. Man, when crowds, when all this, you know, when shit is done hitting the fan, I'm going to a show. Like, if it's All In, if it's WrestleMania, if it's... Hey, I want to see a live rumble. Here we go. Uh, Angle, the only man not bleeding right now. Hey, look, he's starting to go bald. I wonder if that'll have come into effect. And unprotected chair god. <sighs> Knowing what we know about CTE and all that crap now, it's so hard to watch, like unprotected chair shots like Triple H just got his face rammed into the back of that flatbread at least he used his hands but unprotected chair sh ah there Taker's bloody he went and gacked himself too oh and now oh what's this what what do my wandering eyes appear but oh uh, I do not want to see Triple H crack that thing is that thing is white as snow you were a tanning bags, Hunter? Actually, don't. Melanoma. Don't do that. Yeah, so Hunter and Austin are about to go to the top of the cage, and I'm getting some Mick Foley and Shawn Michaels flashbacks here. Yeah, Shawn Michaels was actually shown at WWF New York previous to this match, and they were talking to him about it. Uh, Michaels wasn't in a good place. Now, Austin... Dear God, Steve, please don't die. You just came back from neck surgery... Don't need you to go away longer. Oh, man. I am mortified of heights, so... Seeing these spots on top of the cage just gives me big-time anxiety. And also anxiety for the wrestlers. Oh, man. Triple H. Oh, no. You're not going to go through the flatbed. Oh, hell no. Yeah, Triple H just... In kayfabe... Oh, took that crane in the car spot a month ago and came back next week. Didn't sell it. JR is just losing his mind here. Oh, Taker and Kurt are coming up. Yeah, if you're running away from a Hell in a Cell, don't go stutter! Don't go up the cage, you idiot. Like, what goes up must comes down, right? That's the... Rule of something, something rule. I, I, I don't know what it is. Somebody help me out, Mance. Mance, I know you're doing watch alongs right now, too. Help me out with that quote. <laughs> uh, Murphy's Law, that's what it is. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, here we go. Steve's gonna. It always looks like that spot where you spread your legs and stomp the guy. It looks like you're getting him in the crotch, but you're getting him in the gut. And, uh, yep. Almost everyone's out here. Uh, luckily, they reinforced that cage, so getting body slammed on it won't cause the roof to cave in. Uh, King of the Ring 98. Uh, as long as I live, I will never, ever forget that that night. Uh, no, I wasn't watching it live. I actually never got to watch King of the Ring until it came out on VHS. But uh, it just replays in my head. So every time I see a Hell in the Cell match, even this year, just and, and Shane McMahon twice doing that bump off the cell because he is <laughs> the best in the world. 
not really, but the most insane in the world, baby. Uh, sorry, I can't do that. I can't do uh, what's Greg Hamilton. Man, I think Kurt Angle is gacked here. And uh, oh, Taker's going to take and school here. Kurt Angle and wobbly legs right on the roof here. There's a little bit of that roof is looking like it's going to give. The fans are just, they're clamoring for another wacky hell in the cell spot because wrestling fans are bloodthirsty psychopaths. <laughs> Myself included. <laughs> but, yeah. As I probably would have said earlier in this review, uh, I haven't recorded the first half of this review yet by the time I'm recording this. But this was another one of my buddy. If you listen to me in the past, you know about my friend Dave and his basement. How we used to watch all these wrestling pit reviews together. This is one of our last ones, actually. It's kind of heartbreaking. Uh, I think X7 would have been the last one I watched at his house with him. Oh, here we go. Rikishi's on the top of the cage. I think Rock was kind of helping him a bit. Oh, take, Taker's got a chair. You've done it now. I'm seriously going to have to stop doing that. <laughs> but. Oh, God. Unprotected chair shot. Right in Kurt Angle's cranium. Seriously. And Rikishi's got the chair now. The, ba the bad man's got the chair. And, uh. He's looking to... Oh, another one right in the face. Like, I love Attitude Era Wrestling here, but my lord, some of these unprotected chair shots are so hard to, to watch. Especially when they're like... Uh, like Chris Benoit. Like, we're a month away from Rumble 2001. I'm going to be doing a watch-along of the Rumble match. For next month's 20 ball salute uh but that match there where benoit got a diving chair shot like he went for a suicide diving got a chair right in the face uh yeah now angle's trying to run away now yeah see ya <laughs> kurt's like nope i'm out yeah you wouldn't get me on top of that not a chance i can barely i can barely get on the roof of my own house Clean the eavesdrops. Oh, here we go. I think I think we're here. Rikishi is at near the end of the cage. We're here in the flatbed. Flatbed. Hmm, flatbed. I'm hungry. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let this play out for a bit, folks. So enjoy. Oh no, not quite. Not quite. We're, we're almost there. I'll, I'll give it a couple more seconds here, and I'm going to let this, this. Oh, oh, here we go. Here we go. He is not.
Holy shnikes. <laughs> Even Steve Austin's like, whoa. <laughs> he had to look and make sure the camera wasn't on him, but it was. <laughs> oh, I love Austin. Yeah, this is the second time this year, this year in 2000, that Rikishi took a top-of-the-cage bump like that. Uh, please don't die, Rikishi. You got you got sons to train up in the business to be heads of the table. Oh, boy. Austin. Rock. Ah, here we go. Every time they get in the ring together. Every time. Yeah, we're four months away from that. I can't wait to talk about X7 again. I can't wait. Uh, stop! Nope. Stutter denied. Spinebuster. Oh, he's not going for the people's elbow on the on the rattlesnake here. Hmm. Yeah, but at Vengeance, you know, I talked about Vengeance uh, 2000 in this pay-per-view, uh, in this review, Tony Bustle, Good Lord. And that's when Rikishi did the top cage splash to Val Venus. Oh no, he is gonna people's elbow Steve Austin. I think some of the fans aren't liking this. Oh, Triple H is, uh, he's getting up here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, denied. Nope, no people's elbow. Ah, man. There's a guy in a Santa hat in the front row. I just realized that. <laughs> I think he's wearing a Christmas sweater, too. Yeah, that, that would have been around the same time I got voted Mr. Christmas at my high school. I forget what the premise was, but I just remember take, digging out a picture a while ago that said Mr. Christmas 2000 frets. Basically, it was a popularity contest. Because <laughs> uh, I was on student council that year in, high, in uh, 11th grade. It'd be like, oh, rock bottom. It's over. New champion. One, two, Steve. Steve, dude. Whew. Yeah, Kurt Angle is gacked big time. He is bleeding. This this match is good. This is fun. We're yeah, we're forty minutes into this match and it's still going. Like the cardio, the stamina for these blokes. Gotta give them credit. Love it. I've never seen anything like it. Oh, stunner. And that flips out by the rock. Oh, that makes me laugh every time. He does that to pop to pop Austin, by the way. Like, he just... Go, it's, that's like Shawn Michaels against Hogan levels of overselling. And Triple H is right there to prevent it. And, oh, stunner for... That was a rude awakening. That was a botched stunner. Wait. Angle. What? No! Oh! <laughs> Look at that! Kurt Angle just beat the top five names in the entire WWE in one match. He took advantage. He stole it. He just reached his arm over on the rock and won. <laughs> 
Uh, Triple H is over there uh, talking talking to Kurt there, making sure he's okay. <laughs> oh, Steve's just uh, Steve's just having a, a lie down. Uh, he's had his eighth beer. He's done. Kurt Angle is still the champion. I, I was watching this with my buddy Dave, and I was freaking furious. I, I didn't get to appreciate Kurt Angle until a little later, but uh, Kurt's just, uh, he's on spaghetti legs here. He's barely, barely standing. Oh, Stone Cold. <laughs> Austin must pose, pal. He had one more stunner in him. Oh, man. Oh, that's good. Uh, that's where I'm going to end it. <laughs> end it here. I hope you enjoy this free, I'm sorry for the thing I just knocked down, uh, free version of the 20 Ball Salute on Wrestle Addict Radio. I know this has been recorded before Christmas. It is being released after Christmas. So... I hope your holidays were merry and safe and bright. And hey, this is going to be the last thing you hear from me in 2020 because the week after the 26th, we're in a new year. So happy new year to everybody uh, who listens to Wrestle Addict Radio, who is on our network. Follow us at addict underscore wrestle. Listen to... Mr. YLP, The Young Lion's Perspective, The Delight Show with Mance Chapel, The Kings of the Rings podcast, and myself, the Fretzelmania podcast. I got some cool stuff starting to brew up for what I'm going to be doing in the new year. I'm just in the planning phases of it now. Uh, I hope you all like it. You'll find out what it is in the new year. Probably... You might have already heard this on a podcast because, as I've said, I'm recording this on the 8th of December, uh, right before I go into to my work. So, hey, you'll know when you'll know. So, thank you very much. TTFN, ta-ta for now. <sighs> Love you, bye.